Hello, and welcome to another episode of the CBO Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Donna Sheely, and I'm so happy you are with us. Today, we are speaking with Mary Lou Ortiz. She is the Vice Chancellor, Finance and Administration, and Chief Financial Officer at University of California, Irvine. Hello, Mary Lou. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Donna. I'm happy to join you today. Awesome. All right. So let's just start from the beginning. Let's go all the way back. I believe you matriculated at Columbia University. Am I correct? Correct. All right. So take us all the way back there. Talk to us about what you studied and what led you to where you are now. Okay. So I went uh, to Columbia University for my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd never been to New York before, so that was interesting. Oh. Uh, where were you and coming from? I was coming from Florida. I grew, I went to high school in Tampa, Florida. So okay. it was a bit of a culture change for me, but I loved it. And I think I'm a born New Yorker at heart. So oh, it was uh, a place for me to go. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Mm-hmm. I figured college would help me with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I majored in psychology or concentrated in psychology. And um, upon graduation, I still didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So I ended up working at Columbia um, as the graduate secretary for the Department of Art History and Archaeology. It was one of those uh, things where I thought, I'm just going to be here for a couple of years at most. Yeah. Then I'll find my real job. Yeah. And I stayed there for 16 years. Wow. 16 years. So, of course, you did several things while you were there, I'm sure. I made my way through different offices. I worked in uh, the Graduate School of Journalism after leaving uh, Art History and Archaeology. Mm-hmm. I worked in the university's um, Office of Management and Budget, so the Central Budget Office. Mm-hmm. I worked at the Vice President for Arts and Sciences as their uh, budget director, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also worked in the Student Health Services as the Director of Planning and then Planning and Financial Administration. Okay. Uh, I got to the point where I thought I would be at Columbia for the rest of my career, and then an opportunity opened up for me to go to an NGO, the International Rescue Committee, where I became uh, their budget director. Uh, And so that was my one stint outside of higher education, although there were strong connections to higher ed since the CEO at the time that I went there was George Rupp who had been the president of Columbia University before he retired from Columbia and then did did this long stint at the IRC as chief executive officer. Uh, After that, I went back to higher ed Mm -hmm. uh, to work at Princeton University. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then after that, I went to Rutgers and then Penn State. And then now I'm at uh, University of California, Irvine. So I have quite an extensive career at this point in higher ed in both the private and public university setting. All are one universities. So it is in that particular niche of higher education, but uh, I've been in both public and private at this public point. Public and private, yes. And and pretty prestigious universities to say, I mean, to say the least, I mean, that's pretty, pretty amazing. So while you were at um, Columbia, you you noted that you did several things. I'm sure, can you talk about how those connected to what you ended up doing in terms of being a CBO? Sure. Um, so I I started out 
more on the student affairs side of things or the, um, but my, uh, supervisor at the time in art history, uh, when I'd gotten to the point where I thought I'd gotten as much as I could out of that, out of that position, mm-hmm. I had by that point started attending graduate school for a master's in public administration degree. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to stay at Columbia until I finished that. Mm-hmm. And she encouraged me to make sure that my next position had some sort of financial responsibility mm-hmm. in it because it would serve me well in the future. And um, so I took her advice and the journalism school job that I got uh, was as the financial assistant. So processing invoices and things like that, you know, transactional mm-hmm. things. Um, a new associate dean for administration came in shortly after I started there. Mm-hmm. And she said, you're getting your master's degree in public administration, right? You, you're doing spreadsheets and things like that as part of your degree. And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. And she said, would you like to help me with the budget? I'm new. I'm not quite sure how it was put together and I need help. So I was young and arrogant and said, sure, I can figure it out. Yeah. yeah. She handed me the budget and said, fine, go off and figure it out. And it turned out I'm really good at that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing, though. That's really good. Uh, and so that's really what started me on my career, you know, and what ended up being my career in doing work related to finances, particularly budgeting. And that is really, I think, the, my kind of continuing stream of work that I've done has always uh, since then involved budgeting mm-hmm. in some way, shape or fashion. So I really loved doing it. I had no formal training in it other than some graduate level work through that public administration degree. So I, you know, came out of that feeling like, you know, learning by doing is as valuable as formal education. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I now try and make sure that people who work for me also have that experience of learning by doing that even, you know, and I've approached other uh, subject matters mm-hmm. in my career with a, well, I'll, I'll try and do it. <laughs> right. I'm going to figure it out. Well, goodness. So you had no idea prior to that, that that was something that you would enjoy and do well at, huh? Correct. Correct. My psychology <laughs> concentration did not prepare me <laughs> for that. Now I did go back, you know, one of the benefits at uh, Columbia when I was there was that you could get tuition free okay. uh, education. And so after the public administration degree, I then got my MBA okay. a few years later. So I do have kind of now the formal education, which was also really helpful. But I think th- that combination of, you know, the degree work and the practical hands-on experience is mm-hmm. in- incredibly valuable. It was, um, you know, that kind of work experience that I think has helped me uh, master other subject areas mm-hmm. that I have less ex- experience in. Um, and certainly going into my current role, there are many areas I oversee now that I've not supervised in the past. But I feel like, you know, my general approach and my past experience in learning how to oversee different different areas that I've not had 
as much prior experience before has served me really well. Let's get into that a little bit more. So what is everything that you are over now at University of uh, California, Irvine? I oversee almost all the finance and administrative areas for the university. So I have 18 departments that roll up to me. So on the finance side, I oversee uh, accounting and fiscal services, the budget office. Mm -hmm. I oversee um, capital planning. So the capital side of the budget. I also oversee design and construction on the administrative side, facilities management, uh, the campus police, uh, transportation and distribution services, mm-hmm. um, emergency management, risk. The, the list is quite quite extensive. Um, and so those are, are a lot of the big areas for me. Internal audit's also uh, part of my operations too. Well, with such a varied uh, past career, you know, working in the different schools, what do you think was the most helpful that helped you or led you to what you're doing now? What are what are some of the key maybe positions that you held when you were at Columbia that you felt like, you know what, I'm glad that I did that role because that's really helpful. I feel like every role, even the ones I enjoyed less, have been helpful to me in some way, okay. shape or form. Some things I learn are, you know, you don't want to do again. <laughs> right. We'll <laughs> but, talk about that. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of actual, ex- uh, you know, work experience, obviously, what I really benefited from was, again, that hands-on experience and things that I had not done before. So the budgeting mm-hmm. work and then working in the central budget office was incredibly valuable. So I could see the institutional mm-hmm. perspective um, was really beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my job in health services, where I was director of planning, also gave me some new skills that I hadn't had before because I needed to learn project management mm-hmm. and um, facilitation mm-hmm. and other other traits that you don't necessarily have when you have a purely financial position. Right. Uh, but the person who hired me into that role had was that same supervisor who gave me the budgeting work in the School of Journalism. Mm-hmm. So she was my boss at two different in two different oh. offices at Columbia okay. and knew me well enough that even though I didn't have the formal experience in planning, thought I would be able to learn it on on the job the way that I had learned uh, the budgeting. So mm-hmm. I became much better at kind of thinking through how do you implement uh, changes within an organization mm-hmm. in a disciplined way? How do you understand processes? Mm-hmm. How do you manage change? All of those kinds of things were skills I acquired through that job, which has served me really well yes. uh, going forward. And then I would say working at the International Rescue Committee was really helpful in getting to know a lot of and working with a lot of stakeholders across a wide swath of locations and and missions. So the uh, the IRC at the time I was there uh, operated in 24 different countries. Okay, wow. And so I was in a cent- the central budget office. So I had to work with each of the country um, financial officers. I did training for them. You know, I traveled a bit mm-hmm. to do that training and understanding that different um, countries had different infrastructures and different abilities mm-hmm. to do work because of the conditions in which they operated, you know, made me 
sort of sensitive to the fact that um, we're really privileged in the United States. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What we have access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these countries had no banking systems. They had very, you know, yeah. they had not a lot of computing. Um, they had a lot of uh, staff who mm-hmm. made considerably less uh, because they were in countries that just had, you know, lower pay. And so, um, so it was good to be exposed uh, to, to all of that. Yes, I'm sure. My goodness, your your experience is extensive. So that is really, really good. So I want to go back to some of the relationships that you had, mentors, and you know, you've worked with women. I'm hearing a few that, uh, you know, saw something in you and said, you know what, you can try this. Let's try this. Talk to me a little bit about those, the importance of those relationships. I have been very fortunate that I have been mentored quite extensively, not, not formally, mm-hmm. um, but just the, the, my supervisors in, you know, many of my positions have taken on that mentorship role mm-hmm. and have allowed me to take on responsibilities that were, that were outside my formal job description. Right. And so they saw something in me that allowed me to really thrive under their guidance. And yeah. so that was true. Uh, I had another incredible female supervisor mm-hmm. at Columbia who, you know, same thing. She, she, I got two promotions in the th- three year period. Awesome. <laughs> because she just kept giving me more responsibilities. Yeah. While I was there, when I was at Rutgers, uh, the head of budgeting, uh, very similar. She was just one of those people who she was somebody everybody respected. They might not, might not always like her. Mm-hmm. People can be unpopular because they're often in the position of saying no. Right. But she had a huge amount of respect. And when I observed her, one of the things I noticed was that she was never afraid to say, I don't understand mm-hmm. and to ask questions. And I realized a lot of people have that. I certainly did have the tendency to not want to look dumb. And so you don't ask questions because you assume that you're the only one who doesn't get what's going on. And, you know, she made me realize, no, sometimes the person's not being clear or they're making assumptions about what you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to ask uh, questions. And so I've, I've emulated that too, because, you know, I've come to realize that people sometimes look to me and expect me to know things. And I, it's almost now in my role, if I ask questions then then it frees up other people to ask questions too. That's right. Um, and so, uh, so that's been really helpful. Um, my, uh, last supervisor at, uh, Penn state, who was the provost there mm-hmm. was, uh, wonderful as well. He allowed me to get much more involved in strategic planning for the university. Again, sort of outside uh, my role, but was really helpful to me in thinking about issues besides the financial ones uh, mm-hmm. that were um, sort of outside the scope of my role as university budget officer. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, it. a lot of this is you, like people are seeing they were seeing something in you and it looks as though like you were the type of person that was willing to try things and and not say no or be afraid. I, I'm I'm getting that from you. Like that's I'm thinking that's 
Because it's a constant theme. I'm here, you know, you're saying that that person saw something in you and wanted you to try something else. And so I think that plays a lot into, you know, who you are as a person. I think that's great. I think that's a great trait that maybe upcoming CBOs may want to, you know, latch on to, to, to not be afraid. Is that something that you just kind of always had or? I think curiosity is probably one of my stronger traits. It can also be a hindrance at times because I'm very, (laughs) but I like to know why things work. And I don't like to be bored. And Uh so I, I have noticed that, I know when it's time to move on, like, I, you know, particularly early in my career, after a couple of years, once I felt like I knew everything and learned everything I could out of the job, I needed to do something else. And so I did seek other opportunities when I felt I had mastered that position. Mm-hmm. If there were, you know, more to do, if my role could expand, then I was always happy to take on more responsibilities but if if that wasn't possible, which it is, you know, sometimes, sometimes yeah. in positions, um, then I kn- I would know it was time to move on because doing the same thing year after year after year is yeah. not appealing to me. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that part of your succession plan? Is that when you mentor others, is that something that you try to instill and talk to them about? You know what? I don't know if I have done that so formally, but I do talk to people about not being afraid to try something different. I've mentored more formally a couple of different women Mm -hmm. through uh, programs. I'm actually part of the Wakubo mentorship program right Mm -hmm. now. And I think part of what I try and convey is that a lot of women tend to hold back and there's, you know, I'm sure you've seen all the same studies. If you don't have 90% of the qualifications, you know, women tend not to apply. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to recognize that a lot of the skills that you acquire are transferable. So I haven't overseen many of the areas that I oversee now, but I have managed people and I have learned new things and I trust, generally trust the people who work for me mm-hmm. to be able to manage to a large extent at the level that my direct reports are now. Yeah. They should not need a lot of supervision from me. So I need to trust them to do a good job. And if they're not the right person for that, then I need to make a decision about whether or not it's, you know, that, that, that person can continue in their role. So mm-hmm. now I've been fortunate so far. I've, in, I've inherited, you know, inherited a great team from my predecessor. I did do some reorganization, but on the whole, I have a great leadership team here. And so all of that makes it possible for me to take on a role that's bigger than I've had in the past. And I would recommend that to anybody that it is much easier to find somebody with the technical expertise, mm-hmm. knowledge, than it is to find somebody who's a good manager. That's what I aspire to be, mm-hmm. is a good manager. And I think I have at least some of the traits. No. <laughs> I can always improve. That's right. But I try, I do my best to be an effective manager and leader of uh, my team. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, we you kind of touched on a little bit of some of the challenges that you may have had um, throughout your career. What is something, maybe a lesson that you learned the hard way? <laughs> uh, if you if you had a chance to do it over, you're like, you know what? I would do it this way. Or if you had someone who is, you know, going through and coming up through the uh, ranks and you'd say, you know what? I this I did that. That didn't work. Is, do you have an example of that? Yeah, I can think of one particular instance. I will not name the institution. Okay. <laughs> yes, let's, let's not do that. <laughs> I learned the hard way that... It's not always enough to be good at your job. Relationships really matter. And I did not manage the, the relationship with my supervisor and understand his relationships with other people and who were going to influence him, which ended up having a direct impact on how he regarded me and how I carried out my role. Mm -hmm. And so for a while I had his confidence mm -hmm. seemed to disappear in a way that was very surprising to me. But I think if I had realized how influential certain other people were who were not fans of me and, you know, my role at that time was, was supposed to be one where I was making changes organizationally that were not always popular with others on that leadership team. And I just did not account for, mm -hmm. I thought because I had been formally charged with making these changes, mm -hmm. that, that that was enough. And it turns out I needed, to, I, I, I could have done a much better job of managing it from a relationship and political standpoint. Mm. So, um, so I was, great right relationships outside of that organization mm -hmm. but within the organization i felt like well i'm doing my job and it should be okay and it became increasingly clear that i was not going to be able to do the things that i was originally charged uh, with doing and that's when i decided to look for other opportunities and was able to get another mm -hmm. position outside of that institution. Mm -hmm. That's good. Kind of like a do-over card and kind of just uh, <laughs> do it better in the next place. But I totally hear what you're saying in terms of building those relationships and kind of thinking, well, you know, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but not really playing the political and, and really getting those relationships. So that's key. That's important. Yeah. yeah. And in yeah. particular, if you're coming in from outside and mm -hmm. uh, trying to build, you have, in some ways, a little bit of a harder time than somebody else who's been there for a long time, has an established set of relationships. Right. So you're countering uh, that. And mm -hmm. this was a culture that was not mm -hmm. great about change in the first place. Okay. So there was a lot of just culturally at the institution. Yeah. Change. So. Yeah. Um, and I think if I had done a better job of managing, again, managing those relationships, maybe I still would have left. It would have been more on what I felt like were my terms rather than feeling like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just never going to succeed. And so I need to get to get out of here. There's a lot to be said about moving on and knowing when to to move on. So that that's great. 
So what would you say is the most rewarding thing that you've done uh, throughout your career? One of the things I'm very proud of from my last position, I haven't been at Irvine that long, so I feel like there's a lot of things underway, so I I don't want to brag about anything yet. Okay, so I jinx it. (laughs) How long have you been at at Irvine? Just over a year. I started in of 22. Okay. But at Penn State, I was there for four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And part of what I was charged with was taking a look at the budget model and modernizing it. It had been, they had been doing budgeting in the same way since the, we, we dug a little into the history since the 1950s. Oh. And so the board was unhappy with the way that we did things. They thought the reports were, unclear and it was very confusing to them and it was confusing to a lot of people when i came in i was confused with how they did budgeting i'd never seen anything Mm -hmm. um like it and so uh the provost said you know i'm I'm bringing you in to take a look at the budget model and change that and so Mm -hmm. i was both the co-sponsor of a new financial system that was implemented while I was there. Mm. But I wanted to use the opportunity of implementing the new system to have a budget model, a new budget model that Mm. would look at funds much more holistically for the institution and have that ready to implement when the new after soon after the new system went live. Mm. And so it was a multi-year process to have a, you know, a task force that looked at it. We came up with a set of recommendations. I chaired the task force. Mm -hmm. I went out and did town halls and um, lots of uh, presentations. We had retreats where the deans were involved in understanding what the implications were. I had project management teams that put together different uh, goals that we needed to achieve in order to move us forward with the new budget model. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really proud of all the work uh, that I did. It was, I think, a really collaborative um, process that moved the institution in a way that made how we use funds much mm-hmm. clearer than uh, we did in uh, had in the past. Yes. My only um, my only disappointment was that I would have had to stay another couple of years to see it fully launched, but this opportunity at Irvine came up and I couldn't resist. (laughs) Right. Awesome. Awesome. So you were doing all of those changes and and doing that new uh, financial change during COVID? Correct. (laughs) So, yes, it started before COVID. Okay. The new system went live July 1, 2020. And so it was, you know, we, we, I and the other co sponsor, the controller of Penn State, um, and I were involved with our, in conversations with our executive leadership about whether or not we were going to move forward with going live. We decided we should not slow down because of COVID. We, there were many, beneficial things that would come out of this new system Mm -hmm. Um, and we needed to keep moving forward. So we shifted all the training for it to online. Wow. Everything was handled remotely and, Mm -hmm. and we did it. So, you know, I'm really proud of that too. Yeah. 
was going to say, that's a huge, I mean, you didn't even mention that piece. I was like, wait a minute. She had to have done that during COVID. But I, I can't take credit for it. There was a huge project team that, that did it. I was just one of the sponsors for it. Yes. But, but, but yes, yeah. but, but we kept, mm-hmm. and we kept on track with the budget changes Yeah, uh, um, as well um, as part of the change because we wanted to do this comprehensive change in both the system and the budget model itself. Okay. All right. So now you're in a new place. Talk to me about some of the exciting things that you are looking forward to do, if you can, um, at UCI and, you know, some of the the new things that you've, you know, added to your plate. Talk a little bit about that. It's an exciting time at Mm -hmm. Irvine. Now, like every other public higher ed institution I've had to work with, work at, um, there have been budget challenges. So we're looking at launching a new budget model. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, is that what happens when I change jobs? When I went to Rutgers too, they were implementing RCM, Responsibility Center Management, when I started. So that was already underway, but I to be the one to implement it for the New Brunswick campus. Mm-hmm. Then I go to Penn State and we change it. And then I come here and I thought, yep, this seems yep. to be my fate. There you go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, again, the process for doing that, it, it's it's challenging, of course, mm-hmm. when you're thinking about how how is it that we better utilize limited resources. But mm-hmm. I also think we, we need to take the opportunity to understand how we can better support our strategic priorities with mm-hmm. the resources that we have. So, mm-hmm. um, so that should be, uh, clearer. We have a lot of construction that's going on, okay. um, at Irvine. So my team is in the process of overseeing the construction of the first all electric hospital wow. in the country. Um, mm-hmm. we've already gotten a lot of a- awards, uh, for it, but, yeah. um, that's a pretty, uh, major accomplishment. And so the campus architect, um, and vice, uh, associate vice chancellor for design mm-hmm. and construction reports up to me. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, pretty exciting. That is very we exciting. Going to uh, be building a museum on campus mm. as well as a new, uh, lab. Uh, building that mm-hmm. will add uh, significant uh, lab, uh, wet lab capacity okay. on our campus. All of those things are uh, very exciting um, efforts. Um, part of what's um, different about the University of California system mm-hmm. um, is that we're part of a uh, is that system. Irvine is part of a system. system. So right. Rutgers and Penn State were not systems mm-hmm. really. Rutgers was. Uh, Sort of evolving kind of. A quasi system, but it's okay. a system. Oh, okay. And then, and then Penn State uh, is one university, is right. how they describe themselves. One university geographically distributed. Mm-hmm. So it it operates differently uh, yeah. from that. So there are lots of things that I'm adapting to what mm-hmm. is done at the system level and what is done at the campus level. At the system level, we're all looking towards. Um, moving towards carbon neutrality. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. And so that is both going to be very challenging because of the costs to do that, but, you know, an opportunity to 
to make those kind of necessary changes that we need to address the impact of climate change, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we're all seeing affecting, you know, lots of things uh, yeah. uh, in California, unusual weather, weather patterns or something that we're kind of seeing the impact of here at Irvine as we've have these very unusual weather events that have impacted um, our buildings. Um, yes and operations at various points in time. For sure. All of that's uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, for sure. That's exciting. Do you meet with the other uh, financial officers in the system? Do you guys? Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an interesting... So each campus is responsible for a lot of things and operates very independently from one another. But there are certain things that from a system level, um, there's policies at the system level that we're all implementing. Generally, we kind of implement them at our own individual campuses and we're all operating under different circumstances and environments. So we adapt to them in our own way. But it is great having those colleagues who I can talk to. It's a great group of people and very helpful and talking through issues. And, you know, they were very welcoming to me as a yeah. new person who was also new to California. Right. <laughs> like, what is that acronym? You know, there's always acronyms right. in higher education. I didn't understand a lot of them when I came in. Uh, yeah. So that's been uh, that they've been very helpful in, in my adjusting to this role. Yeah, there's a big change. You're coming from the East Coast over to the West. I mean, way over. (laughs) (laughs) That is a big change. That is a big change. So talk to us before we go about your future and what do you see yourself doing next five years from now or so? Um, And do you want to continue in the role you're in or do you see yourself moving to some higher roles our chancellor, what what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, I don't want to be a chancellor <laughs> or president of anything. <laughs> I have to say, sounds way too hard. <laughs> uh, it's a lot, <laughs> yeah. and I don't want to do fundraising. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am one of those people. I've never had a fixed career plan. I have mm-hmm. to say, mm-hmm. so. What's important to me Mm -hmm. is to have a position Mm -hmm. where I think I can be effective and have an impact and where I won't be bored. (laughs) I really don't like being bored. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I think this job is is has so much that's involved with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Even after over a year you know, just over a year, I feel like I'm still learning a lot. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. still think I can have a lot of impact here. Yeah. Um, I'm in the process of developing a strategic plan with my, t- with my organization, mm-hmm. with leadership and with the team as whole. And how do we do that in a meaningful way that ties to the university's strategic plan and mm-hmm. gives us set goals and metrics to measure our effectiveness and use our resources as efficiently as mm-hmm. possible. So I'm really excited about uh, doing that. Um, it That's a culture shift too for the organization because we've never had a strategic plan for the entire division uh, mm-hmm. before. So I'm putting a lot into change management and project management to support mm-hmm. all of that. Um, 
So yeah, I can see myself in this role for several years. Yes. And, and then we'll see, you know, as long as I enjoy what I'm doing, I, I'm not interested in moving and I, I'm open to lots of different things. So, you know, if you had asked me f- five years ago, would you be, you know, are, do you think you'll be a CFO somewhere? I'd have said no. <laughs> right, right. Nah. But yeah, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. Well, that's your MO. I mean, Mary Lou, you are definitely going to move around and try new things. So we never know. I'm going to check in and see. Who knows? Who knows what you'll be doing? Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, exciting. Well, listen, thank you so much. You are a wealth of knowledge and we just appreciate you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I really appreciate talking with you. It was fun. Yes, it was. And thank you all for joining Joining us today for this episode of CBO Speaks brought to you by the National Association of College and University Business Officers. You can find resources for today's episode as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks wherever you get your podcasts and so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Mary Lou Ortiz of University of California, Irvine, I want to thank you for joining us on CBO Speaks. I'm Donna Sheely. Be well. CBO Speaks is a production of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. Audio engineered by Andy Nelson and True Story FM. Music by Michael Bean. Post-production support by Janelle Dempsey. And I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Thank you for listening. <music>